Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. Listen to us on snoozecast.com, like our Facebook page, and follow us on Instagram. We'd like to thank our listeners. If you enjoy our show, please write us a review on the Apple Podcasts app, or wherever you listen. Also, share it with a friend. This episode is supported by The Song of Tree Frogs. Tonight, we'll be reading selections from The Gentleman's Book of Etiquette, and Manual of Politeness, written by Cecil B. Hartley in 1860. Snoozecast was surprised to find nothing online about the author, besides having written another book on the life of Daniel Boone. Perhaps it is not coincidental that the author of the Ladies' Book of Etiquette was published the same year by an author with the same last name, Florence Hartley. your eyes. Relax your body with the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. Chapter 4. Etiquette in the Street. A gentleman will always be polite in the parlor dining room, and in the street. This last clause will especially include courtesy towards ladies, no matter what may be their age or position. A man who will annoy or insult a woman in the street lowers himself to a brute, no matter whether he offends by look, word, or gesture. 
There are several little forms of etiquette given below, the observance of which will mark the gentleman in the street. When walking with a lady or with a gentleman who is older than yourself, give them the upper side of the pavement, that is, the side nearest the house. When walking alone and you see anyone coming towards you on the same side of the street, give the upper part of the pavement as you turn aside to a man who may carry a heavy bundle, to a woman or to an elderly person. In a crowd, never rudely push aside those who impede your progress, but wait patiently until the way is clear. If you are hurried by business of importance or an engagement, you will find that a few courteous words will open the way before you more quickly than the most violent pushing and loud talking. If obliged to cross a plank or narrow path, let any lady or old person who may also be passing precede you. In case the way is slippery or in any way unsafe, you may, with perfect propriety, offer to assist either a lady or elderly person crossing it. Do not smoke in the street until after dark, and then remove your cigar from your mouth if you meet someone. Be careful about your dress. You can never know whom you may meet. So it is best to never leave the house otherwise than well-dressed. Bright colors and much jewelry are both unbecoming to a gentleman in the street. Avoid touching anyone with your elbows in passing and do not swing your arms as you walk. Be careful when walking with or near a lady not to put your foot upon her dress. In carrying an umbrella, hold it so that you can see the way clear before you. Avoid striking your umbrella against those which pass you. If you are walking with a lady, let the umbrella cover her perfectly, but hold it so that you will not touch her bonnet. If you have the care of two ladies, let them carry the umbrella between them and walk outside yourself. Nothing can be more absurd than for a gentleman to walk between two ladies holding the umbrella himself while in this way he is perfectly protected. The ladies receive upon their dresses and cloaks the little streams of water which run from the points of the umbrella. In case of a sudden fall of rain, you may, with perfect propriety, offer your umbrella to a lady who is unprovided with one. If she accepts it and asks your address to return it, leave it with her. If she hesitates and does not wish to deprive you of the use of it, you may offer to accompany her to her destination and then do not open a conversation. Let your manner be respectful, and when you leave her, let her thank you 
assure her of the pleasure it has given you to be of service, bow, and leave. In meeting a lady friend, wait for her to bow to you, and in returning her salutation, remove your hat. To a gentleman you may bow, merely touching your hat, if he is alone or with another gentleman. But if he has a lady with him, raise your hat in bowing to him. If you stop to speak to a lady, hold your hat in your hand until she leaves you, unless she requests you to replace it. With a gentleman, you may replace it immediately. Never join a lady whom you may meet without first asking her permission to do so. If you stop to converse with anyone in the street, stand near the houses that you may not interfere with others who are passing. You may bow to a lady who is seated at a window if you are in the street, but you must not bow from a window to a lady in the street. Do not stop to join a crowd who are collected round a street show or street merchant unless you wish to pass for a countryman taking a holiday in the city. If you stop anyone to inquire your own way, or if you are called upon to direct another, remove your hat while asking or answering the question. If you see a lady leaving a carriage unattended or hesitating at a bad crossing, you may offer your hand or arm to assist her, and having seen her safely upon the pavement, bow and pass on. In a car or omnibus, when a lady wishes to get out, stop the car for her, pass up her fare, and in an omnibus, alight and assist her in getting out, bowing as you leave. Be gentle, courteous, and kind to children. There is no sure token of a low, vulgar mind than unkindness to little ones whom you may meet in the streets. When you are escorting a lady in the street, politeness does not absolutely require you to carry her bundle or parasol, but if you are gallant, you will do so. You must regulate your walk by hers and not force her to keep up with your ordinary pace. Watch that you do not lead her into any bad places and assist her carefully over each crossing or wet place on the pavement. If you are walking in the country and pass any streamlet, offer your hand to assist your companion in crossing. If you pass over a fence and she refuses your assistance in crossing it, walk forward and do not look back until she joins you again. The best way to assist a lady over a fence is to stand yourself upon the upper rail and while using one hand to keep a steady position, stoop, offer her the other, and with a firm, steady grasp, hold her hand until she stands beside you, then let her go down on the other side first, and follow her when she is safe upon the ground. 
in starting for a walk with a lady, unless she is a stranger in the place towards whom you act as guide, let her select your destination. Offer your seat in any public conveyance to a lady who is standing. It is often quite as great a kindness and mark of courtesy to take a child in your lap. When with a lady, you must pay her expenses as well as your own. If she offers to share the expense, decline unless she insists upon it. In the latter case, yield gracefully. Many ladies who have no brother or father and are dependent upon their gentlemen friends for escort make it a rule to be under no obligations to them. And you will, in such a case, offend more by insisting upon your right to take that expense than by quietly pocketing your dignity and their cash together. I know many gentlemen will cry out at my assertion, but I have observed this matter and know many ladies who will sincerely agree with me in my opinion. In a carriage, always give the back seat to the lady or ladies accompanying you. If you have but one lady with you, take the seat opposite to her, unless she invites you to sit beside her, in which case, accept her offer. Never put your arm across the seat or around her as many do in riding. It is an impertinence. And if she is a lady of refinement, she will resent it as such. If you offer a seat in your carriage to a lady or another gentleman whom you may meet at a party or picnic, take them home before you drive to your own destination, no matter how much you may have to drive out of your own way. Be the last to enter the carriage, the first to leave it. If you have ladies with you, offer them your hand to assist them in entering and alighting, and you should take the arm of an old gentleman to assist him. If offered a seat in the carriage of a gentleman friend, stand aside for him to get in first. But if he waits for you, bow and take your seat before he does. When driving a lady in a two-seated vehicle, you should assist her to enter the carriage. See that her dress is not in danger of touching the wheels and that her shawl, parasol, and fan are where she can reach them before you take your own seat. If she wishes to stop and you remain with the horses, you should alight before she does. Assist her in alighting and again, alight to help her to her seat when she returns even if you keep your place on the seat whilst she is gone. Chapter 7. Dress Between the sloven and the coxcomb, there is generally a competition which shall be the more contemptible. The one in the total neglect of everything which might make his appearance in public supportable, and the other in the cultivation of every superfluous ornament the former offends by his negligence and dirt, and the latter by his finery and perfumery. 
Each entertains a supreme contempt for the other, and while both are right in their opinion, both are wrong in their practice. It is not in either extreme that the man of real elegance and refinement will be shown, but in the happy medium, which allows taste and judgment to preside over the wardrobe and toilet table, while it prevents too great an attention to either and never allows personal appearance to become the leading object of life. The French have a proverb, it is not the cowl which makes the monk, and it might be said with equal truth, it is not the dress which makes the gentleman, yet as the monk is known abroad by his cowl, so the true gentleman will let the refinement of his mind and education be seen in his dress. The first rule for the guidance of a man in matters of dress should be, let the dress suit the occasion. It is as absurd for a man to go into the street in the morning with his dress coat, white kid gloves, and dancing boots as it would be for a lady to promenade the fashionable streets in full evening dress, or for the same man to present himself in the ballroom with heavy walking boots, a great coat, and riding cap. It is true that there is little opportunity for a gentleman to exercise his taste for coloring. In the black and white dress which fashion so imperatively declares to be the proper dress for a dress occasion. He may indulge in light clothes in the street during the warm months of the year, but for the ball or evening party, black and white are the only colors, or no colors, admissible. And in the midst of the dresses of the ladies, the unfortunate man in his somber dress appears like a demon who has found his way into paradise among the angels. Men should be useful to the women, and how can they be better employed than acting as a foil for their loveliness of face and dress? Notwithstanding the dress, however, a man may make himself agreeable. Even in the earthly paradise, a ballroom, he can rise above the mourning of his coat to the joyousness of the occasion and make himself valued for himself not his dress. He can make himself admired for his wit, his elegance and refinement, not the price of his clothes. There is another good rule for the dressing room. While you are engaged in dressing, give your whole attention to it. See that every detail is perfect and that each article is neatly arranged from the curl of your hair to the tip of your boot. Let all be perfect in its make and arrangement. But as soon as you have left your mirror, forget your dress. Nothing betokens the coxcomb more decidedly than to see a man always fussing about his dress, pulling down his wristbands, playing with his mustache, pulling up his shirt collar, or arranging the bow of his cravat. Once dressed, 
do not attempt to alter any part of your costume until you are again in the dressing room. In a gentleman's dress, any attempt to be conspicuous is an excessively bad taste. If you are wealthy, let the luxury of your dress consist in the fine quality of each article and in the spotless purity of gloves and linen, but never wear much jewelry or any article conspicuous on account of its money value. Simplicity should always preside over the gentleman's wardrobe. Follow fashion as far as is necessary to avoid eccentricity or oddity in your costume, but avoid the extreme of the prevailing mode. If coats are worn long, yours need not sweep the ground. If they are loose, yours may still have some fitness for your figure. If pantaloons are cut large over the boot, yours need not cover the whole foot. If they are tight, you may still take room to walk. Above all, let your figure and style of face have some weight in deciding how far you are to follow fashion. For a very tall man to wear a high narrow-brimmed hat, long-tailed coat, and tight pantaloons with a pointed beard and hair brushed up from the forehead is not more absurd than for a short fat man to promenade the streets in a low, broad-brimmed hat, loose coat, and pants, and the latter made of large plaid material, and yet burlesques quite as broad may be met with every day. An English writer ridiculing the whims of fashion says, to be in fashion, an English man must wear six pairs of gloves in a day. In the morning, he must drive his hunting wagon in reindeer gloves. To enter London in his Tilbury, beaver skin gloves. When he dines out, kid gloves. Thus, his yearly bill for gloves alone will amount to a most extravagant sum. In order to merit the appellation of a well-dressed man, you must pay attention not only to the more prominent articles of your wardrobe, coat, pants, and vest, but to the more minute details, a shirt front which fits badly, a pair of wristbands too wide or too narrow, a badly brushed hat, a shabby pair of gloves or an ill-fitting boot will spoil the most elaborate costume. Skin, teeth, nails, well-brushed hair, linen fresh and snowy white will make clothes of the coarsest material. If well-made, look more elegant than the finest material of cloth if these details are neglected. Frequent bathing, careful attention to the teeth, nails, ears, and hair are indispensable. Use but very little perfume. Much of it is in bad taste. Let your hair, beard, and mustache be always perfectly smooth, well arranged, and scrupulously clean. It is better to clean the teeth with a piece of sponge or very soft brush than with a stiff brush, 
and there is no dentrifice so good as white Castile soap. Wear always gloves and boots, which fit well and are fresh and whole. Soiled or torn gloves and boots ruin a costume otherwise faultless. Extreme propriety should be observed in dress. Be careful to dress according to your means. Too great saving is meanness. Too great expense is extravagance. A young man may follow the fashion farther than a middle-aged or elderly man, but let him avoid going to the extreme of the mode if he would not be taken for an empty-headed fop. It is best to employ a good tailor as a suit of coarse broadcloth which fits you perfectly and is stylish in cut will make a more elegant dress than the finest material badly made. Avoid eccentricity. It marks not the man of genius, but the fool. A well-brushed hat and glossy boots must be always worn in the street. White gloves are the only ones to be worn with full dress. A snuff box, watch, studs, sleeve buttons, watch chain, and one ring are all the jewelry a well-dressed man can wear. An English author, in a recent work, gives the following rules for a gentleman's dress. The best bath for general purposes, and one which can do little harm, and almost always some good, is a sponge bath. It should consist of a large, flat metal basin, some four feet in diameter, filled with cold water. Such a vessel may be bought for about 15 shillings. A large, coarse sponge, the coarser the better, will cost another five or seven shillings, and a few Turkish towels complete the properties. The water should be plentiful and fresh, that is, brought up a little while before the bath is to be used, not placed overnight in the bedroom. Let us wash and be merry, for we know not how soon the supply of that precious article, which here costs nothing, may be cut off. In many continental towns they buy their water and on a protracted sea voyage, the ration is often reduced to half a pint a day for all purposes, so that a pint per diem is considered luxurious. Sea water, we may here observe, does not cleanse, and a sensible man who bathes in the sea will take a bath of pure water immediately after it. This practice is shamefully neglected and I am inclined to think that in many cases, a sea bath will do more harm than good without it, but if followed by a fresh bath, cannot but be advantageous. Taking the sponge bath as the best for ordinary purposes, we must point out some rules in its use. The sponge being nearly a foot in length and six inches broad, must be allowed to fill completely with water, and the part of the body which should be first attacked is the stomach. 
it is here that most heat has collected during the night, and the application of cold water quickens the circulation at once and sends the blood, which has been employed in digestion, round the whole body. The head should next be soused, unless the person be of full habit, when the head should be attacked before the feet touch the cold water at all. Some persons use a small hand shower bath, which is less powerful than the common shower bath, and is almost as much good. The use of soap in the morning bath is an open question. I confess a preference for a rough towel or a hair glove. Brummel patronized the latter and applied it for nearly a quarter of an hour. 